official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Good morning. I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying our our sermon series, World of Wonder. We've been exploring metaphors that scripture draws from nature to teach us about God. Uh, Last week, Adam talked about soil, and he used soil as a metaphor for our soul. It was a really instructive teaching, and if if you weren't here, I would recommend podcasting it. Um, uh, Two weeks ago, uh, Ian talked about water, and I kicked off our series talking about trees. And today, we're going to talk about birds. Surprisingly, there are a lot of birds in the Bible. Um, God feeds Elijah with the help of ravens. In the Psalms, we see many references to owls. Did you know that there are even ostriches in the Bible? They're in Job. Job, in his lament, calls himself a companion to ostriches. Um, Today, I want us to look at three particular birds that Scripture uses as a metaphor for God. Um, And they don't just symbolize God. They teach us something about God, and that's why we're looking at them, to see what we can learn about what kind of God our God is. So I have a question for you. How many of you have seen an eagle? You've seen eagles. Excellent. What are some adjectives that come to mind when you think of an eagle? Just one word descriptors. Um, I invite you. Regal. A little louder. Fierce. Any others? Majestic. Hunter. Raptors. Awesome. Well, hold, hold these in your mind, uh, these uh, descriptors here. Um, and let's take a look at Exodus 19, 3 through 6, very briefly. Um, this is where Moses approaches God on the mountain. God speaks to Moses and gives him a message to take back to the Israelites. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God speaks of his deliverance of the Israelites from bondage under Pharaoh in in Egypt in terms of an eagle. This is an image of power and of swiftness and of strength. It's also a, a picture of tenacity and decisiveness and speed. Those are some some of the characteristics of eagles. Eagles are really fast. Um, Did you know that uh, bald eagles can cruise at 40 miles an hour? And when they dive, they can actually reach speeds over 100 miles an hour. Isn't that incredible? They have very keen eyesight, which makes them very um, accurate hunters. Um, Bald eagles have six times the acuity, the visual acuity of humans. They can see a distance of one and a half miles. So now you know what's behind the expression, you have an eagle eye. Eagles also have quite considerable strength. They can carry a little over half their weight and fly with it, 
which is why sometimes you might see an eagle or a picture of an eagle carrying a very large fish, surprisingly large fish. And their strength is not just in their wings, which of course are very powerful, but also in their grip. They have a vigorous grip. They have two-inch long talons, and they can exert up to 1,000 pounds of pressure per square inch. So an eagle is not likely to drop its prey. Um, I want to share a a very short one-minute clip for you from a BBC documentary about eagles that will, I think, just give us a little bit more of a picture of what I've been talking about. Isn't that amazing? So when God says that he carried his people out on eagles' wings, this is a picture of power and of tact and precision and decisiveness and strength. Our God is a God who rescues, and when he rescues, his rescue is competent and authoritative and strategic and sure. Now we see another picture of God as a bird in Scripture, and it's a very different kind of bird. When Jesus is baptized, Scripture tells us that the Spirit descended on him, and the Spirit took the appearance of a dove. And we know this from John the Baptist, um, who says, I saw the Spirit. This is um, John 1, verses 32 through 34. He says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So the Holy Spirit takes on the appearance of a dove. Now, a dove is very different from an eagle, isn't it? Um, I have a picture of a laughing dove. I just love that there's a kind of dove called a laughing dove and actually does sound a lot like laughter um, when it, it makes it sound. This is not a dove you will see in uh, North America. It's in India and Africa and the Middle East. I chose it because maybe this is the, the kind of dove that um, John the Baptist saw. Um, and I'm wondering, when you think of a dove, what comes to mind in terms of characteristics would you also share some of the thoughts, some of the one-word descriptors, descriptors that come to mind when you think of a dove? What is a dove like? Peaceful, soft, soothing. A dove is a very small bird compared to an eagle. It's a very gentle bird compared to an eagle. It's not an aggressive bird. It's not a bird of prey. It eats grains and seeds, berries, occasionally insects and worms. And it's also a relatively ordinary bird. Um, did you know that doves are practically the same as pigeons? They're in the same bird family. They're closely related. Um, in ancient Israel, it was um, custom uh, when a couple had a child to offer a sacrifice of a lamb after the birth of the child. But if you couldn't afford a lamb, uh, the book of Leviticus said that you could instead bring two turtle doves or pigeons. Um, and so um, I want to show you a picture of turtle doves. Um, uh, here's some turtle doves. Jesus' parents, by the way, were too poor to offer a lamb. And so they offered two turtle doves. Isn't that kind of ironic? Because John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is our sacrificial lamb, and yet... He was born into a family too poor to afford a lamb to sacrifice after his birth. And so his parents offered two turtle doves. 
Now, doves carried some really important symbolism in biblical times. Um, Doves mate for life, and so they were a sign of purity. They're also a sign of affection. In the Song of Songs, the lover calls his beloved a turtle dove. So it's a term of endearment, a turtle dove. I love what that brings to the baptism narrative of Jesus, this idea that the father uh, was showing his fatherly affection for Jesus, in part, um, in that image of a dove. Um, God says when Jesus is baptized, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He says that, but we also almost see that in the image of the dove. And of course, um, as someone mentioned, doves are associated with peace, right? They're a sign of peace. When Noah sent a dove out from the ark, it came back with an olive leaf in its beak, signifying that the floods had waned. There was dry ground. God's judgment had passed. He was making peace again with the earth. And in Colossians 1.20, Paul talks about God making peace with the earth again. He says that through the cross, Jesus made peace for us, reconciling us to God. Jesus is a little bit like a dove with an olive branch in its beak. He's not only God's promise of peace, but he's God's chosen instrument for establishing that peace. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. So, so far we've looked briefly at two birds, um, an eagle and a dove, as representations of God in Scripture. Uh, but I want to spend the rest of the morning look at a third, um, looking at a third bird, and it's a rather surprising one. Um, it's a hen. That's right, a hen. Jesus uses the image of a mother hen to describe himself and his relationship with his people. And the image of the, of the hen shows up in Scripture in a kind of unexpected place in the Gospels. It shows up in a moment of fierce anger. In Matthew 23, Jesus is extremely angry. He's angry with the Pharisees. He's angry with the teachers of the law because they follow the, the letter of the law to the T, but not its spirit. They reject its spirit. They're harshly judgmental toward others. They place heavy burdens on people, and they've completely lost touch with what it means to have any kind of a personal relationship with a God of love. And so Jesus calls them out, and he doesn't mince his words when he calls them out for their ways. Um, in Matthew 23, 23, he says, and this is just a taste of many paragraphs um, of Jesus's anger. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law justice, mercy, faithfulness. And later he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, Jesus is so angry with the Pharisees that he pulls a few of his own animal metaphors to describe them, and they're not pretty. He calls them snakes. He calls them vipers. And he accuses them of shutting the door of heaven in people's faces. Pretty strong language, huh? And then there's a shift in Jesus' tone. A shift from anger to lament. Because when you think about it, it's really sad, isn't it? It's really sad that the Pharisees have completely lost touch with God's heart. It's absolutely tragic that they've not been able to recognize the Messiah whom they've been looking for and who is now standing in front of them in their midst. It's really sad 
that when they encounter God's love, they end up spurning it instead of receiving it. And so in verse 37, Jesus laments. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You were not willing. Do you notice in these words that Jesus is not only mourning the Pharisees' loss? They're losing out. They're losing out on life, and he is mourning that, but he's also mourning his own loss. He's mourning for them, but he's also mourning for himself. By using the image of a mother hen, he's showing us a picture of his heart, and it's a mother's heart. And it's not just a picture of any mother's heart. It's a picture of the heart of a mother whose children have refused her love, have rejected her protection, have gone their own way, and are doing so at their own peril. I have a question for you. Does anyone here have chickens? Anyone? Oh, chickens. The whole scars have chickens. Anyone have a neighbor with chickens or friends? Like, you, you know, you might pass by them once in a while. Okay. Um, one other question, just out of curiosity. Has anyone here held a chick before? A couple of you? Oh, awesome. Okay. So my neighbor has guinea fowl. They're really amusing. They screech a lot. Um, and last summer, my neighbor's guinea fowl discovered this like kind of neglected part of my garden, and they decided to lay their eggs there, and they hatched. And then one of them um, ended up kind of hatching late, and it got separated from its um, mother hen, and so I tried to reconnect it. I, I'm not sure I was successful, but that's another story. So I ended up having the unique experience of holding this chick, and it was unlike any experience I'd have ever had before. This one day old chick was super tiny and vulnerable, and it made the faintest of chirping sounds. And um, I had to be so careful, like, not to, like, crush it just trying to hold it. Um, now, because they're so tiny and vulnerable, as you can imagine, chicks are at great risk. If they're going to survive, they need some serious protection, right? They need serious protection from the elements like the hot sun and the rain and the cold at night. They're also in need of protection from predators, and chicks have quite a few predators. And let me see uh, if you know what this is. Weasel. Okay, so this is one of their predators. What about raccoon? Another one? What's this? Possum. Fox, yeah. And in addition, there's skunks, snakes, bobcats. Of course, there's also the neighborhood cats and dogs. So chicks have a lot going against them, and the mother hen has her work cut out for her. And I want to look at, uh, for the rest of our time together, I, wanna, I want us to look at three ways that mother hens protect their chicks, because I think that this is very instructive when it comes to how God protects us. So how does a mother hen protect her chicks? It's not the same way that a cat protects her kittens or a lion protects its cubs, you ever seen a cat when there's danger what it does is it takes this little kit kitten by the scruff of the neck and it goes off right and it takes it away from where the danger is same with a lion and its cubs but a hen does not do that what a hen does is it offers her wings for protection and she has a lot of room under those wings room for all of her chicks 
And when they're gathered under her wings, they're completely hidden. Now you can see a few of them here. They're kind of like halfway, you know, but if they were under her wings, you wouldn't see them at all. And so that would be, uh, it wouldn't even bother showing you a slide because what would be the point? It would just look like there's a chicken there. Um, No chicks. (laughs) Um, So a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings and there's room for, for, for all of them. There's room for quite a few chicks under her wings. And when they're under her wings, they're completely hidden. They can't be seen. They're invisible to their predators. And so the skunk or the owl or the hawk who has been eyeing it, well, it just moves on. Psalm 57.1 says, My soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. Psalm 17, 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. So Jesus compares himself to a hen who gathers her chicks under her wings. And when he does this, he's fulfilling this Old Testament image that we see in the Psalms of God and his people as a mother bird and her young. He's saying, Jesus is saying, I am your protection. I'm your hiding place. I'm a refuge for your soul. Well, I wonder what it is that our souls need refuge from. What do you think are the predators that we need refuge from? There are a lot of physical dangers in this world. There's no lack of physical danger. But the real danger is anything that can do harm to our souls. That means anything that could come along and replace God as our ultimate affection. And those things that can do that, they can be good things. They can be things that... They're good, and we're captivated by them, and then we get just a little too captivated by them. They become a distraction. John was talking about distraction earlier. And then eventually, before we know it, it can become an idol. The predators of our souls can be things that we carry inside us, not just external things. They can be things like a grudge, a discouragement that we sulk in, perhaps, or a disappointment that we live in, or, or a fear that has its grip on us. Have you noticed the way those things have the ability to hunt us down and to feed on our souls? They can steal our peace, our vitality, and they may seem justified at first, right? The things that we fear or the bitternesses that we harbor. But when God calls us to forgive and to trust him and to let go and we can't, then we have a real problem, don't we? And it's a soul problem. We are in the grip of the predator instead of, this, instead of safe under the wings of the mother hen. Well, Christ invites us to flee from our predators and find safety under the wing of his presence and his word and his love. And if we're in the grip of a predator, what we need is the truth to set us free, the truth of his love. And we're only going to find that when we run to him and we are in his presence. When we're in Christ, we're hidden in him, and our accuser no longer has power over us. Christ's affection is our strong shield. So I want to talk about a second way uh, that hens protect their chicks. Did you know that chickens can talk? Probably those of you who have chickens know that chickens can talk. Well, what I mean by that is that they can communicate through sounds, and they have more sounds than you might think. 
Um, scientists have actually identified 24 different vocalizations made by chickens, each with its own meaning. So for instance, if there's an aerial predator in the sky and chicken sees it and wants to warn the other chickens, it makes a particular sound. And it makes a completely different sound if there's a ground predator coming its way. Isn't that interesting? Um, so when a hen is brooding over her eggs, incubating them, waiting for them to hatch, about three days before they hatch, she'll start making this clucking sound, letting them know the sound of her voice. Because it's by her voice that they're going to recognize her when they are hatched. It's not by the way she looks. It's going to be by the sound of her voice. And in response, the little chick inside the egg starts making a little tiny peeping sound. And that goes on back and forth until the egg hatches. Now that hen's clucking sound is really important because when the, the, the chick hatches, it begins to move around. The clucking of its mother is its way of the, mother, the mother's way of saying, hey, here, I'm here, stay close, right? And if the mother decides to go over here, that clucking is saying, follow me, stay close, come here, follow me. There's another sound that chickens make, uh, hens in particular, uh, when there's danger. And it's a, it's, a, it's a low kind of cautionary hush that is designed to warn the chicks that there's danger. Um, okay, here's my really bad imitation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so chickens are precocial animals. Okay, think of the word precocious. Precocial animals, it means that when they hatch, they're ready to go. They're pretty much ready to go. They're pretty much self-sufficient. Within 24 hours, they can see, they can walk, they can find their own food. Humans are not precocial animals, right? Humans um, uh, are completely help helpless when we're born, right, as babies. But chicks are pretty independent early on. Um, maybe even a little too independent for their own good. You see, very shortly, they're wandering away from the mother hen. They're exploring. They're looking for food. They're realizing they can handle things pretty well on their own, can't they? Life is exciting. But there's one thing that they can't handle well at all, and it's danger because they have no experience with it. They don't know what danger looks like. They don't know what it sounds like. They don't even know that they should be on their guard for it. And so when the mother hen makes that sound, that is the sign to the chicks to come to her, to come under her wing because there is danger. And you know what? It's up to them to come. The mother hen does not go out and find them and place them under her wing. They have to dive under her wing. They have to come to her. If the chick ignores his mother's warning, it does so at its own peril. Well, I wonder if the Holy Spirit ever speaks to your heart like a hen speaks to its chicks. Do you ever hear the Spirit kind of quietly clucking, saying, I'm here, stay close? Do you hear him whisper, follow me? I wonder if you ever hear the Spirit kind of making that sound, letting you know that there's danger on the horizon. Maybe you're making a decision and you're leaning in the direction that might not be wise. Do you hear that low cautionary hush? Or maybe you're visited by an old temptation and you have to decide whether you're going to allow yourself to fall back into that old pattern of life or you're going to run and dive under the wing of Jesus where you will be safe. I love that the warning sound that a mother makes, a mother hen makes, 
it's a very gentle sound. It's not a screeching, shrilling um, alarm. Um, It's not designed to scare the chick. It's not a warning of punishment. It's simply the mother hen watching out for the chicks, knowing what's best for the chicks, and gently but intently communicating the reality of a danger and reminding them where they need to be in order to be safe under her wing. In another part of the gospel, Jesus tells a parable about sheep and a shepherd, and he says that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. It takes practice to listen to and to recognize the voice of the Spirit. But as Christians, it's something that we all can do. I want to share a brief story with you. It's a Twitter story. And if you don't think God has a sense of humor, think again, because I did not plan to make a pun here. Twitter, birds, okay? This is entirely God's doing. So many of you know that I'm a writer. Um, a few years ago, when my first book came out, I, I got assigned to a publicist by um, my publishing company. Um, and the publicist you know, gave me all of these uh, tips and, and such to sort of help publicize my book and do my part of the publicity. Um, and one of those things that I had to do was to open up a Twitter account, which I had never done before. I wasn't really that excited about it. Um, publishers, I've learned, are really serious about Twitter. Um, And the publicist gave me guidelines about how to best use this Twitter account, you know, to create an online presence and stir up interest about my book. And she said that I needed to be tweeting about five times a day on average throughout the day. And I almost fell off my seat. (laughs) Well, thankfully, she told me that there are social uh, media management platforms like Hootsuite. And so, like, you can, like, create all of your tweets in one day and then they get scheduled and they go out on there. And so, you know, I thought, well, that'll, that'll make it doable. But then, of course, what, you know, what's happening is like all of these tweets are going out that you've scheduled ahead of time and you want to know, are people looking at them? Are they retweeting them? Are they you know, responding? And so you're still going back and forth between the con- computer you know, continuously. And Well, anyways, my book was about um, food history. And so naturally, I built my Twitter presence around topics in food and food history. And then about two years after my book came out, I felt God nudge me in a new direction. And it was away from food history. It was distinctly away from food history. Um, And I just want to say there's nothing wrong with food history. Um, It's just that God had a different direction for me. And I sensed him leading me to focus on on poetry and on my interests in spiritual formation and learning about spiritual formation. But it just so happens that this is just when my Twitter account had really taken off. My following was pretty nice at this point. I had invested like two years in building up this following. I was meeting with success. And I was really kind of proud, actually, um, of the various well-known people in the food world that were following me and that I was interacting with. But the more time that I spent um, on Twitter, the more I felt like I was wasting precious life and spending it on the wrong thing. Instead of a sense of satisfaction coming from it, there was a real distinct and increasing emptiness around it. I kind of started to hear that Holy Spirit sound. And it really happened one day when I had the thought, when I come to the end of my life, I wonder if God will show me how many hours I've spent on the internet looking for good food facts and things to impress people with on my Twitter account about food. (laughs) 
And I knew that that would be really embarrassing, but not only embarrassing, it just wouldn't be something I would be proud of. In fact, it would be kind of tragic. It would be tragic in light of all of the more life-giving ways that I could spend my time. Now, it took me a while to get to this point, but eventually I said goodbye to my followers on Twitter and I shut down my account. And one thing that I learned from this experience is truly how gentle and soft the guidance and wisdom of the Spirit is. And I also learned how much freedom God gives us, how much freedom of choice. I totally could have kept going in the direction that I was going, and I think God would have still worked with me. But I also think that I have a lot more peace having stayed close to him, and I really believe that my life has been much more fruitful for listening to him. I should probably make clear that I'm not trying to bash social media here. Um, And I actually do now have a different Twitter account. It's not food history. It's much more representative of who I am as a poet and a pastor, and it's really pretty dinky. And actually, I'm glad because that way I don't have to worry about it becoming a predator of my time or of my soul. So there's one last way that I want to share with you about how hens protect their chicks. You know, when it comes to self-defense, chickens don't have a lot going for them. They have little beaks, right? They're good for collecting insects and pecking at their annoying neighbor, but that's about it. So when there's danger and the mother hen calls her chicks and they come running under her wing, what does she do next? Nothing. She remains right there and she faces the predator and she refuses to budge. She can't budge because if she did, the chicks would be exposed. She must remain in place and face the predator. So I have one more clip that I want to show you. And it's a, it's a, a short clip of, 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 a, of a mother hen doing just this. In this case, the predator is the dog. We don't know, of course, if the dog is just playing or if it's really malicious. But, um, uh, we, but, but to the hen, of course, the hen, this is a very real predator and to the chicks. Now, in this clip, I think the chicks could use a little practice getting under the mother's hen. They're not as swift as they could be. But the hen, I think she's got the hen thing down. She sticks to her guns. Let's take a look. Go hen. (laughs) So what is this hen's defense? It is simply her body. She puts her body between the chicks and their enemy. And if the predator is going to get the chicks, it's going to have to get to her first. Isn't this a beautiful picture of Christ? Jesus made himself vulnerable. God made himself vulnerable by being born into the world in a human form, subject to illness and injury and death. And he placed himself in great danger by announcing the kingdom of God with healings and miracles in the midst of a hard-hearted people who largely refused him and quickly began to persecute him. And when the kingdom of God represented such a threat to the powers of the religious establishment of his day that they could no longer tolerate Jesus, he spread out his wings, as it were, on a cross. Now, the religious authorities, of course, thought they were killing him, but in reality, he was showing us the extent of his love. And he was offering a refuge that we didn't even know that we needed, a refuge for our souls from the wages of sin which is death. So as we close this morning, I want to invite you to think about where you are in this picture, this picture of a mother hen and her chicks. Are you the precocious little chick wandering off? 
Maybe you've heard the Holy Spirit gently clucking, gently erring to warn you from danger, but you've chosen to go it alone. You'd rather take the chance. Are you the little chick that's still inside the egg, spiritually speaking? You're just waking up to the possibility of faith. God is, call, God is calling you. The clucking sounds, they sound a little muffled through the egg. You think it's him. You're not really sure. I want to say to you that he is inviting you to respond, and he will hear the faintest of peeps, and he will sing over you with joy when he does because you are his treasured possession. Finally, perhaps you're the mother hen, because Christ calls us all to imitate him and to be like him, to love unconditionally, to care for each other, to protect each other. But your chicks have decided not to heed your voice. They're going their own way. Perhaps they're going in a way that is danger fraught. And I want to say to you that Christ is with you, and he knows more than anyone exactly what you're going through. So wherever you are in this picture this morning, and I'm going to invite the band to come up, I want to invite you uh, to pray as we, um, as we pray and as we close with a song. I want to invite you to listen to the sound of the Holy Spirit, letting you know that he's there. And I, and I wonder if, if he's been there. I wonder if he's been kind of clucking and just letting you know, I'm here. Follow me. I wonder if there's been moments in the past week or month where you've kind of maybe heard that warning, but you didn't recognize it. And now, now you have a word for it. Now you know that's the Holy Spirit warning me not to do that thing which is not as wise, not to do that thing which is not what God's doing. He wants you to do what he's doing. He is our refuge, not just from external predators, but from internal ones, our own fears, our bitterness, our disappointment, our shame. When those take over, we can run to him and we can be safe under his wings. And for those of you who have been under Christ's wing all along, I want to ask you whether God is calling you to be a hen to others, to nurture them and protect them, to give yourself for them, and to call, to call others, to call them gently back to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are to us a mother hen who has a mother's heart. You call us, that you provide for us, you provide protection for us from our fears, our bitternesses, our distractions, the things of this world that can become captivating. Lord, help us when those become too captivating. Help us when we give in to our disappointments or fears to run under the wing that you have outstretched for us and Lord, thank you for outstretching your wing, as it were, on the cross to make a refuge, Lord, for our souls. That is where we long to be. That is where we need to be under your protection. And call us, O oh Lord, to be hens to others, Lord, to be nurturing, to be protective, to be calling them back to you, calling them back to safety, calling them back home where your love is and where we can be safe and where we can thrive, and where we can be who you made us to be and the fullness of who you made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.